You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 35 West Shelton Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. We have been following along with the narrative lectionary through this, um, the arc of the story through uh, of the whole of Scripture. And last week we heard about King David and Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan that came to confront David with the truth of his sin and the consequences that it will have for his family and in the kingdom. So Bathsheba's first son died and the next son was Solomon. He, he was not the obvious heir to the throne as he had older half-siblings, um, but those other brothers were often in turmoil and trouble and even took out their rivalry um, to the death. So Bathsheba asked David to appoint Solomon to be his heir, and he did so without telling the other sons. So we're going to pick up the story today just at the beginning of Solomon's reign as king, after he dealt with his rival brothers, um, but before he built the temple in Jerusalem. I'm going to read to you from 1 Kings uh, chapter 3, and I want to note that there are some note cards and pens that are on your chairs, um, and also some notebooks back there. If you want to take notes throughout the meeting, we're going to use that note card in just a few minutes. Um, but if you're someone who likes to doodle or draw or take notes, um, please help yourself to those. All right, I'm going to read to you from 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 4. The king, the king we're reading about here, again, is Solomon. Okay, The king went to the great shrine at Gibeon in order to sacrifice there. He used to offer a thousand entirely burned sacrifices on that altar. The Lord appeared to Solomon at Gibeon in a dream at night, and God asked, Ask whatever you wish, and I'll give it to you. Solomon responded, You showed me so much kindness. You showed so much kindness to your servant, my father David, when he walked before you in truth, righteousness, and with a heart true to you. You've kept this great loyalty and kindness for him and have now given him a son to sit on the throne. And now, Lord my God, you have made me your servant, king in my father David's place. But I'm young and inexperienced. I know next to nothing. But I'm here, your servant, in the middle of the people that you have chosen, a large population that can't be numbered or counted due to its vast size. Please give your servant a discerning mind in order to govern your people and to distinguish good from evil, because no one is able to govern this important people of yours without your help. 
It pleased the Lord that Solomon had made this request. God said to him, because you have asked for this instead of requesting long life or wealth or victory over your enemies, asking for discernment so as to acquire good judgment, I will now do just what you said. Look, I hereby give you a wise and discerning mind. There has been no one like you before now, nor will there be anyone like you afterward. Now, I will also give you what you didn't ask for, wealth and fame. There won't be a king like you as long as you live. And if you walk in my ways and obey my commands and laws, just as your father David did, then I will give you a very long life. Solomon awoke and realized it was a dream. He went to Jerusalem this time and stood before the chest containing the Lord's covenant. This is the Ark of the Covenant. Then he offered entirely burned offerings and well-being sacrifices and held a celebration for all of his servants. First of all, uh, what, what happens to you when you are in a situation where you are overwhelmed by the task ahead. We've all probably had that experience where the responsibility seems like too much. We know we're in over our heads. There's something we're given to do that we don't feel equipped for or ready for. Or maybe as we start doing it, we realize how big it is. You might even wonder, how did I get here? When you feel your own sense of inadequacy or self-doubt, what's your go-to response? I don't know too many people who like to feel like that. Uh, We we may go to our coping mechanisms um, to ease the discomfort that we feel. We might distract ourselves. We might make excuses. We might look for others' um, help or maybe even to pass things off to. Solomon realizes in this dream, he acknowledges, I'm young and I know next to nothing. I've been given this huge task to govern your people, and I need your help. No one could do this without your help. He says, but I'm young and inexperienced. Um, I think this is a hopeful, very humble beginning for for Solomon. He knows enough that he needs help. This is too big for him. The size of this task of ruling as king over God's chosen people is, is too big without God's help. So he asks for what he needs. He asks for Wisdom. Wisdom is a good place to start. Actually, he asks for a discerning mind. Here's the verse again in verse 9. Please give your servant a discerning mind in order to govern your people and to distinguish good from evil, because no one's able to govern this important people of yours without your help. The, The phrase discerning mind... Uh, is literally translated an understanding mind. The idea is that to hear, uh, to consent, to, to consider, it, it implies listening intelligently, giving your attention to, 
And then because of those two factors, action is usually implied after, afterwards. So when he asks for a discerning or an understanding mind, it liter- uh, that, that means a listening heart, excuse me, I don't think I said that, a listening heart, um, which will lead his action as he governs. That's what he's asking God for. I think it indicates that he understands his, his priorities, what his priorities should be, right? He doesn't ask for wealth or a long life, what his responsibilities should be as king. He knows enough to know what he lacks. And he asks God to equip him with more of what I think he already has that he's demonstrating right here. He's demonstrating some humility and some discernment. So that's a good start. And it pleases God that he asks for this. So let's pause right here in the story for a moment and just consider your own life and where you feel you are in need. Where you are aware that maybe you feel in over your head, that something ahead of you is too big. Maybe you lack, uh, or maybe you feel like you know next to nothing. (laughs) Use that card and pen that were on your chair, was on your chair, and see if you can use Solomon's prayer. It's going to be right up here for you in the next slide. Fill in those blanks with your own, your own story. How would you describe yourself to begin with? Please give. If you're asking God, please give this brand new parent a what? What is it that you need? In order to do what? Because no one is able to do X, Y, or Z without your help. Solomon's prayer is a good one. So take a few minutes. You might want to copy that whole prayer down with those blanks, just like it is on the slide. And take some, take some moments here to think about how you would fill in that prayer from your own life. Hopefully that was enough time. <clears throat> you might want to keep working with that, with that prayer of Solomon's at another time. It's worth noting that, that wisdom or this discerning mind that Solomon is asking for is, is not intended for only a small number of people with like specialized knowledge. Um, wisdom in the Bible is very practical. It is, it's about skills for daily living. It is the stuff of everyday life, and it's available to those who ask. So let's read how Solomon applied this wisdom in this very famous story that you may have heard before. It ends up showing up in um, secular culture in lots of different ways. I'm picking up in 1 Kings 3, verse 16, and I'm reading from the CEB, the Common English Bible Version. 
Sometime later, after this dream had happened where Solomon asked for a discerning mind, sometime later, two prostitutes came and stood before the king. One of them said, please, your majesty, listen, this woman and I have been living in the same house. I gave birth while she was there. This woman gave birth three days after I did. We stayed together, and apart from the two of us, there was no one else in the house. This woman's son died one night when she rolled over him. She got up in the middle of the night and took my son from me, from my side, while I was asleep. She laid him on her chest and laid her dead son on mine. When I got up in the morning to nurse my son, he was dead. But when I looked more closely in the daylight, it turned out that it wasn't my son. It's not the baby that I had birthed. The other woman said, no, my son is alive. Your son is the dead one. But the first woman objected, no, your son is dead. My son is alive. And in this way, they argued back and forth in front of the king. The king said, This one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. The other one says, no, your son is dead and my son is alive. Get me a sword. They brought a sword to the king and the king said, cut the living child in two. Give half to the one woman and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was still alive said to the king, please, your majesty, give her the living child. Please don't kill him for she had great love for her son. But the other woman said, if I can't have him, neither will you. Cut the child in half. Then the king answered, give the first woman the living newborn. Don't kill him. She is his mother. All of Israel heard about the judgment that the king had made. Their respect for the king grew because they saw that, the king, that God's wisdom was in him so he could execute justice. It's quite a story. This tragic loss occurs, and these women, desperate in their grief and confusion of what has happened and what is happening between them, come before the king with their plight. This detail about them being prostitutes explains why they would both be living under the same roof with no husbands, both with newborns and and no one else there to help them sort out what happened. And they come before King Solomon. One woman tells a long story. The other one simply says, no, this is not true. Which mother do you, as a reader, imagine is telling the truth? And what from your own life experience makes you think that? This particular translation gives us an interpretation of which woman is the real mother, but in fact, the original text, it's very ambiguous. It's not clear. Solomon is in this impossible, impossible situation. And, and this, the story they present almost gives a puzzle to solve for what happened and who is the rightful mother. 
think the wisdom here is demonstrated, his wisdom here is not demonstrated in solving the puzzle and discerning what had happened, but in trying to put things on their best available course for the future. You might not think that with his first verdict of bring me a sword. Who knows what led him to start with that um, command. There might have been a legal tradition um, that if there's a dispute over any kind of property, that it gets split. He may have been um, working out of that tradition. Either way, he starts with this um, action that seems to be almost an application of a rule to come up with something fair, so to speak. But Solomon's wisdom, I think, is actually about human nature. He's not setting the question, he's not trying to settle the question of who actually is the mother as much as who is going to persevere and protect this, the life of this child. I think he's thinking about what is future. Presumably, he doesn't know who the real mother is. Um, or even after the fact, if he chose her. But the one who says, cut the baby, when, when she says that, he knows that the other one, the one who's willing to give up the child in order to protect it, will preserve and tend to the life of this child. I think wisdom here listens deeply to what is possible for the future, to set things on the best available outcome. The woman who says in that moment, I would rather my baby be alive and with someone else than to be killed, has the good of the child in mind. It is an unimaginable position. This, this mother had an unimaginable choice in front of her. And she chose what is best for the baby, despite her own grief and loss. Her wisdom is also future-oriented. She's making this excruciating choice to save the baby. I think that the tools of wisdom that Solomon shows um, is in the way he is demonstrating a knowledge of human nature and an ability to listen, to listen even beneath the story in order to render a verdict, in order to try to work out justice. He's not applying a rule. He's seeing into them through their responses, I think with empathy, um, with discernment, Again, that discernment was already present in Solomon. He demonstrated that by asking God for a discerning heart. And when God answered his prayer, after he woke up from that dream, I don't know if you caught this detail, but he went to Jerusalem to the Ark of the Covenant to make sacrifices to God. The, the very beginning of the story tells us that he was making sacrifices at, um, let me get the name in front of me, he 
He's making sacrifices at a shrine, which, which represents um, the spiritual practices to other gods. So after he asked God for what he needed, he, God drew him closer to where God was most present at the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. Again, there's not a temple yet to worship in. That process of asking for what he needs and drawing closer to God equipped him for this unimaginable situation. But there's also something else present in Solomon that we get a clue about at the very beginning of the story. And that is that he also has the potential for great harm and to choose unwisely things that will lead him to destruction. At the very beginning of the story, it sets the stage to show us that because it tells us that Solomon is married to the king of Egypt's daughter. There's already this reference to um, his political alliances through marriage. He married the king of Egypt's daughter, and he will go on to having a thousand wives and concubines. It's, it's, a, it's a pattern of tragic political alliances that he makes through marriage. And his ambiguous spiritual practices of going to the shrine instead of to the ark at the beginning Later, he goes on to worship foreign gods in high places. That's kind of the language for spiritual places of other gods. So we see a hint of that at the beginning, that possibility that he could be drawn into these political alliances through marriage and the worship of foreign gods. But he asks God for what he needs, and God grants him this wisdom. As you go through the rest of his story, you can see that he makes, also makes unwise choices that lead to destruction. Not unlike his father David and the story we were in last week with Bathsheba. All the trappings of power and wealth and being a king, um, he was not above them. In the end, Solomon breaks all of the guidelines that are set out for the kings of Israel. So as I sit with this story, which of course is um, well known for Solomon's wisdom, I also see that Solomon has the potential, again, to make unwise choices that lead to his destruction. When we think about what we need in order to act in wisdom and face things that are beyond what we have, feel like we have the capacity for, we aren't empty vessels either. We have the potential for both of these things in us too. We can ask God for what we need and allow God to draw us close to be where God is most present and to act out of that relationship or we can get caught up in the trappings of these other seductive powers that end up leading Solomon in a different way. God is working 
towards what is already there in Solomon. I think God is working towards what is already given to us in us. God granted Solomon wisdom, which drew him into that relationship closer. We can lean into that to draw closer to God as well. As, in addition to having this cautionary tale that we are also capable of making unwise decisions that lead us away from God and towards our own destruction. I think that is the essence of wisdom and learning to live into wisdom. We can't just have it on our own, though it is available to us. It comes out of a relationship with God, a knowing of God, a drawing near to God. And at any point we have the choice in which directions to move. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.com.